again, uh, typically as a church, we go uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through a book. Um, this summer, we've decided to take a little bit of a break from Exodus. We'll be back in Exodus because a lot of people have asked me. Uh, the 1st of September, we'll be right back in Exodus. Um, there's a couple sermons that have been on my heart that I wanted to preach and a couple sermons that actually uh, the elders have asked me to preach. And today, this is one of those sermons that the elders um, of our church have asked me to preach. So if you would, follow along with me. Exodus chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. Let's pray. Dear Father, God, the church is the bride of Christ. Lord, I pray this morning we feel the weight of that. That we understand just how important the church actually is, Lord. That you would send your son to die for the church, Lord. That the church is a gift from the father to the son, Lord. That the son is the head of the body. His body is the church, Lord. Be with us, God, as we go through this passage, Lord, and really tackle a subject that has been much talked about, that there's different opinions on, Lord. I pray that the Spirit just opens up our hearts, Lord, to unify us, Lord. God, be with us this morning as we talk about what it means to be a member of the church, Lord. In your Son's name, amen. If you would look at verse 29, again it says this, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. We are members of his body. Today, the elders asked me if I would do a sermon on church membership, what it means to be a member here at Country Oaks. And I know this topic is a topic that uh, has very many different opinions on. There's different traditions that uh, have different opinions on what church membership is, should be, or shouldn't be. I would ask you this morning, if you would just be open-minded, maybe just open up your heart. If you are already on guard because I just mentioned the word membership, <laughs> if you would just be willing to listen this morning and hear our heart as a, an elder board, hear my heart as a pastor of why we believe in church membership. I'm going to have three arguments, really, to answer two questions. And I don't like that word argument. I was thinking about it first servants. I just don't know what other words to use there. I don't want you to automatically think I'm arguing with you. But three arguments from Scripture 
to answer really two questions, and the two questions are these. Why we, Country Oaks, believe in church membership? That's the first question, so I have three arguments to answer that question, why we believe in church membership. And the second question is this, why you should become a member? So I have three arguments to answer those two questions, and if you would, please just listen to this as I go through Scripture this morning. The the first argument is this, the word member, the word member is a biblical word and is a biblical idea. The word member is a biblical term and a biblical idea. When we say membership at Country Oaks, in other words, we don't mean like Costco membership. We don't have anyone standing at the door looking for your ID, saying, sorry, you can come in, you can't. We don't mean country club membership. A bunch of good old boys hanging out and saying, hey, this is my country club, what I do. We don't mean gym membership, that you have to pay a certain amount to come in and get something in return. We mean biblical membership. And you've heard the pastor say up here from the, the pulpit a number of times that we have a biblical membership class. We use that word biblical in front of membership because we are talking about biblical membership. Again, look at verse 30, Ephesians 5, verse 30. Because we are members of his body. It's a biblical term, member. If you would, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Just to give you a tiny bit of context here, Paul's writing a letter to a church, right? The church at Corinth. Just like most of Paul's letters, they're either to a church or a person that's in charge of a church, a local church, a local church body. He's writing a letter to the church at Corinth addressing specific issues at that church. And this is what he says in chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. What's that an analogy of? The human body, right? In Greek, the word body is soma, which just means human body, one human body, soma. And the body has many members. Again, in Greek, that's melos. That, that word means body parts or limbs, right? Members of the body. In fact, we see this meaning really clearly in Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. It says this, if your right eye, part of your body, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members. There's that word, same Greek word, members, a body part. The eye is a body part. Then for the whole body, same word, soma, to be thrown into hell. Same Greek words, body, human body, member, a part of the body, a body part. That's what we mean by member at Country Oaks Baptist Church. When we say you're a member, you're like a body part. Some of you are eyes, some of you are noses, some of you are elbows. One body, Country Oaks, many members, body parts. Again, that's the analogy. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. It says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit... We are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. In other words, there's a diversity in our body. 
And we are all made to drink of one spirit. There's also a unity. We all share of one spirit. As soon as you are saved, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you. And we all have that same spirit that those that are saved this morning, that are here, that are a part of this church body, we all have that same spirit. There's diversity and unity within the body. Just like a human body is one body with a bunch of diverse parts. Verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Just think about that for a second. Think of the analogy, what it would be like if the member wasn't a part of the body. Think of an eye. An eye not a part of a body is is gross. (laughs) It's not meant to be that way. The eye is meant to be a part of a body. Verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would make it, or that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would uh, not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, just think about that. If your whole body was just an eye, that's weird. It's impossible. It's not meant to be. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. Now think about that. In other words, you're not a part of this body by accident. You're not here by accident. God has put you here, a part of this body, as a member on purpose. God arranged this diversity, all this diversity of age, right, gender, ethnicity, spiritual giftings, all this diversity to be here, right, as members of this body. Each one of them as he, God, chose. It's no accident that you're here at Country Oaks. Verse 19. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. It's, it's just ridiculous to think of a single member, right, in this analogy. Take any body part, it's ridiculous to think about it separated from the body. Ridiculous thought to think of an ear without a body, yet many Christians live this way. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Right? We need you and you need us. That's how a body works. Verse 22. On the contrary... The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You know, when I read this verse, the the first thing that comes to my mind is like the liver. You can live without an arm. You can live without an eye. You can't live without a liver. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unperishable parts are treated with greater modesty. You know, the analogy within the church, I think of the servants of the church. We had Zach preach last week. I mean, we have a number of people that can get up here and preach. But man, if the servants of the church stop serving, this church just falls apart. We need servants, even though most of the time they're behind the scenes. 
We don't see their work. Yesterday, someone put all these chairs up. Which are more perishable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, that there may be no divert or a division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. I hope you're seeing this. There's supposed to be a, a care for one another within the members. A deep love and commitment to each other as members. That the members may have the same care for one another. Now listen to verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Listen, this is biblical membership. This is what we mean when we talk about membership at Country Oaks. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If I hurt my toe really bad, it's going to hurt my whole body. In fact, I was thinking of just hurting parts of the body. I was an athlete. I played in college, and we actually were in the national championship playing basketball in a really small division. It wasn't like 64. No one was watching us. But we were in the national championship, and uh, in the national championship, I tore a small piece of skin in my foot. That, that was the piece of skin that like, holds your tendons together, and I couldn't walk. And I couldn't play in the national championship because of that one small piece of skin that I tore. I heard a pop when I was taking a step, and I was done. That's how connected we are called to be as a body here at Country Oaks. That when one member suffers, all suffer together. When one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is biblical membership. One body, many members, deeply connected. Look at verse 27, because I think this is important. Now you. Okay, let me stop there. Who's the you here? Now you. It's clearly the church at Corinth. Right? Paul has written this letter to the church at Corinth. If you look at the very beginning of the church, or the letter, it's addressed to the church at Corinth. He's talking about a local church body here. Not church universal, local church body. He says this, and you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Again, the analogy, body and members. This applies to the local church. One body, one local church, COBC, Country Oaks. Many members within the local church. In fact, Paul here not only addresses the local church, the church at Corinth, and says you are the body of Christ and individual members of it, he addresses a particular problem within the church. Look at verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in, with tongues? Do all interpret? Paul is addressing the division that, that this particular church had with spiritual gifts. He says, you're one body with many members. Act like it. And then look at verse 31. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. What is that more excellent way? The way of love. 1 Corinthians 12, what we just read, this idea of a local church body and its members being one, is the context of the love chapter, chapter 13, which we're all familiar with. 
context of chapter 13 is chapter 12. The love we should have as a local church body. Right, the love chapter, this is the context, and let's just keep going. Chapter 13, verse 1. If we all speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, again, the context, the local body. We have not loved within the local body. I am a noisy god and a clanging symbol. Verse 2, if I have prophetic powers and understanding, or, uh, understanding of all mysteries and of all knowledge, in other words, I know all the theology of the world, I, I know the Bible like the back of my hand, and if I have all faith, so to remove mountains, but have not loved, again, in the local church, look what Paul says, I am nothing. And he keeps going. If I give away all that I have, in other words, all types of charity, if I deliver up my body to be burned, if I sacrifice everything, in other words, even my own life, look what he says, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then we get to that famous part that we all know. Love is patient. And kind, you know what that's talking about? Us being patient to each other. Us being kind to each other. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It doesn't come to church and insist on its own way. It doesn't argue for a certain type of music. Or say it should be this type of music. Or this type of music hasn't been played. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love believes all things, or love bears all things and believes all things. In other words, it believes the best in people. It doesn't believe the worst. Someone doesn't say hi to you. It doesn't automatically go to the worst saying, oh, they, they're mad at me or something. It believes the best. It hopes the best. It hopes all things for people. It endures all things. How much are you willing to endure to stay a part of this body? Stay connected, even when people sin against you? That's included in all things. Look at verse 8. Love never ends. Let's skip down to verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Again, I've talked about this a few weeks ago, that faith, hope, and love are the three marks, the three virtues of Christian faith. We see these three put together all over the New Testament, and it says, but the greatest of these is love because it's the eternal virtue. It's the virtue that we will experience in heaven, a love for God and love for each other for eternity. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but but keep that in mind. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. And if you would, turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Again, faith, hope, and love. Listen to verse 22. It says this. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with 
our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Faith. And look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confessions of our hope. Faith, hope, without wavering. For he who promised is faithful that we have a hope. We have a faith and a hope. And then verse 24, and let us consider, the word consider means to think hard, to put effort into this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We have faith, hope, and love. Three commands, right? Faith, hope, and love all over the New Testament. The three virtues, the three marks of genuine faith. Now think about this. Out of those three, love is the only one you can't practice alone. For us to love, we need each other. Faith and hope are, are, can be personal. You can have a personal faith. A faith in God. Personal hope in God. You can't have a personal love. In fact, that's our problem. We have personal love. You can't be marked by love alone. We need each other. We need one another to love. Here's the point. We can't stir up one another to love and good works if we don't meet together. That's why there's verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together. We can't stir up one another to love and good works if we're not committed to each other. If we don't belong to a local body, if we're not members of a local body. Again, verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I want to point out that word, one another. It's an important word in the New Testament. It's one word in Greek. It's two words in English. One another. That word indicates how we are to interact with each other as believers within the local body. Stir up one another to love and good works. In fact, there's 50 different one another's in, in the New Testament. I think that word's used around 100 times. There's about 50 different times or different ways it's used. We're called to love one another. We're called to live in harmony with one another. To welcome one another. To admonish one another. To care for one another. To serve one another, to bear one another's burdens, be patient with one another, be kind to one another, forgive one another, sing praises with one another and to one another. Ephesians 5.19, we are to remind each other truths about God by singing to each other. Regard one another as more important than ourselves. Speak truth one another. Encourage one another. Seek good for one another. Stir up one another to love and good works. Confess our sins to one another. Pray for one another. Be humble toward one another. Again, these are the one another's that we are to do within the church body as members of a local body. This is how we are to act as members of the body of Christ here at Country Oaks. Again, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says this, Now you, the local church, 
Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. This is what we mean by biblical membership. This is what we mean here at Country Oaks by membership, not Costco membership. I don't perform the one another's at Costco. Not a country club membership. Not a gym membership. Not a membership to the Dollar Shave Club. We laugh, but I think there's Christians that are more committed to these things in the church. We, here at Country Oaks, mean biblical membership. A deep commitment to one another, a deep love for the bride of Christ. I said this a few weeks ago. It's one thing to go to church. And I'm glad you're here. It's one thing to go to church, but it's something completely different to belong to a church, to a body, to be a member of a church body. The first argument, the word member is a biblical term and biblical idea. It's not something we came up with here in Elder Board. The second argument is this. Healthy church discipline would be impossible without knowing who the members are. Healthy church discipline would be impossible without knowing who the members are. And I, I highlight that word healthy. I know there's churches that do church discipline without membership, but I just, I believe you can't do it in a healthy way without knowing, without identifying, without having some kind of list of who the members are and who the members aren't. Right, turn with me to Matthew 18. Let me just give you the context of Matthew 18. Context is Jesus talking to the apostles, the disciples. This is the first command that's given to the church. It's given directly by Jesus. Yet, I believe most churches don't practice this. Look what it says in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, let me stop there and let's just highlight the word brother. It's not everyone. We see sin out in the world. We, should, we expect that. The spiritually dead are going to sin. Spiritually dead are our mission field. The culture of the world is our mission field. The church, the brothers within the church, if you see a brother sinning, go and tell him his fault. We're called as a body, to keep each other accountable. Even confront each other if it's necessary. Go to a brother and say, you're in sin. I love you enough to let you know. And look what it says, verse 15. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Why? Why between you and him alone? Here's why. Because sin is a sensitive and personal issue. Sin in a brother's life is a sensitive issue. It needs to be handled delicately. The goal in confronting a brother is not to embarrass, not to slander, not to gossip, not to punish that brother. Not even to shame that brother. That's not the goal of church discipline. The goal is to win back a brother. 
to restore a brother, to save a brother from the consequences of his sin out of love for that brother. Maybe to point out a blind spot, maybe your brother doesn't realize he's in sin, to help him see it. We all have blind spots. That's why we privately don't go to anyone else. We don't go to church leadership and say, hey, so-and-so's in sin. Have you talked with them? No. Well, you're in sin now. We privately go to them between you and him alone. That's church discipline. It's the first step. It's not about slandering a person's name. It's not about... Shaming a person is about restoring a brother. Again, first step, Matthew 18, 15. If your brother's in sin, or if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You know what? That's beautiful. It's beautiful when that happens. You know what? That happens all the time, too. We need, we need each other. We need each other to keep each other accountable, to keep us accountable. I need you to keep me accountable. I need you to point out blind spots. You need others to point out blind spots. I'm so thankful for Christian brothers. Some of you in this room right now that love me enough to come to me privately and say, hey, Nathan, that's unwise, or you're in sin there. Not trying to embarrass me, not gossiping behind my back. Listen, that's love. That's love. 99% 99% of church discipline ends here. One brother, brother privately going to another. Well, look at what it says in verse 16. But if he does not listen, what do you do if he doesn't listen to you? Take one or two others along with you. Again, the goal is not to embarrass, slander, or gossip. You go from one to two or three. Why two or three? That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses so that the sin can be confirmed. Maybe you're mistaken. Maybe he's not really in sin. So you take two or three so that there's, a, there's three of us or two of us that are, are saying, yeah, you're truly in sin. And you go to that brother. But, but also, there's still a level of privacy. It's only two or three witnesses. You don't go to large groups of people. Sin is a sensitive and delicate matter. God is being very specific here. You go one privately, two or three privately to that person. Let me get to the final step, verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, the two or three witnesses, then, right, it's after that, then tell it to the church. This step is where the church gets involved. Why? So that the church as a whole can reach out to to this brother or sister in love and call him back to repentance, plead with him or her to turn from their sins. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Treat them, as, in other words, as a non-believer. That's the final step. Again, listen to the command by Jesus. If he refuses to listen to them, that's the two or three witnesses, here's the command. Tell it to the church. Here's my question. 
how can you tell it to the church if you don't know who the church is? Listen, although Sunday mornings is for the church, we come together as a church and worship together. It's for the church, and it's mostly the church. Most, this is mostly Country Oak's body right here. It's not only the church. Every single Sunday, there's guests, and everyone's welcome. We welcome guests. Every Sunday, we have outsiders here that are welcome. Guests, maybe family. We have family this morning that aren't a part of this local church. They're Christians. They're visiting relatives, and they've came to church here this morning. They're not part of the body, but they're welcome this morning. There are people from other churches here. There are people that just moved to Tehachapi that are checking out our church, looking for a church. They're not a part of our church body. They're seeing if they are going to be or not. We have people that are not really committed that come. Sometimes they come every now and then. We even have non-believers every Sunday. That's why we try to share the gospel. This is not an evangelistic thing that we do Sunday mornings. This is for the church, but we understand that there are people that aren't saved here. So remember how specific Matthew 18 is. You go from one person, you go to two to three persons. Do you think Jesus is being specific in the final step? I do. And Jesus says, go and tell it to the church. Well, who's the church? How can we go tell it to the church if we don't know who the church is? This sensitive private matter. If we don't have some kind of list of two things, those who have professed faith in Christ and those that are committed to this local body. Listen, church discipline is a sensitive subject weighty subject. If we have to go tell it to the church as a pastor, I want to make sure we're obeying Jesus' command and we're only telling the church. Again, I just believe healthy church discipline implies that we know who the church is. Listen to 1 Corinthians 5.12. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 again talks about church discipline. Paul is telling this church at Corinth again, talking to them, this local church body, that they need to do church discipline. And he says this to them in verse 12, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? In other words, those outside of the church are our mission field. We don't go around disciplining those outside of the church. We expect that they're going to be sinners. What, What have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church, you, the local church body, are to judge? 1 Corinthians 5, again, is referring to church discipline, the, step in, the steps in Matthew 18. We as a church don't judge or discipline outsiders. They're our mission field. We share the gospel with outsiders. We are called to judge, and that means keep accountable. Right? Do the steps of church discipline for those inside of the church. But that implies that we know who's inside the church. For a church our size, again, healthy church discipline would be impossible without knowing who the members are. If the church was really small, you have a list. It's in your head. 
There's too many of us here have a list in our head. And there's nothing wrong with a big church. The very first church, which was a really healthy church, was 3,000 members in Acts. You better believe they had some kind of list because they knew it was 3,000 members. <laughs> and then it said it was 5,000 members. They knew the church was growing. They knew who the church was. Again, healthy church discipline would be possible without knowing who the members are. Just so you know, if we ever have to do this and break our hearts, but out of love we will, we would have a members-only meeting Make sure it's only members there. And I would encourage every single member to be there to do our best not to slander that person's name to guests or to outsiders. That we're only telling it to the church, the members of this local body, those who have identified themselves as professing Christians, submissive to the leadership here at Country Oaks, and those committed to this body and really those that should have nothing but love and concern for a brother or sister in sin. So my first argument is this. The word member is a biblical term and idea. We are members of a body. The second argument is this. Healthy church discipline would be or healthy church discipline would be impossible without knowing who the members are. Which brings me to my final argument and really this last argument really just comes from my heart as a pastor. Third argument is this. Membership implies, is implied, membership is implied in the relationship described and prescribed in the Bible between pastor and flock. Let me read that again. Membership is implied in the relationship described and prescribed in the Bible between pastor and flock. I know in our culture, structure and order, especially when it comes to religion, is looked down upon. Seen as unauthentic, unorganic, ungenuine, unspiritual, or even unloving. I don't know how many times I've heard people tell me, I don't believe in organized religion. Listen, that's unbiblical and really unchristian. Turn with me to Titus 1.5, and I want you guys to see this verse. I'm going to wait. If you have a Bible, turn to Titus 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 5. It'll be on the screen, too. As you're turning there, let me just give you some context. All of Paul's letters are written to individual local churches, right? local church bodies, besides a couple that are written to individual people. Two, two different people, three different letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus, are pastors of local bodies, and this is what Paul tells Titus in Titus 1, verse 5. This is why I, that's Paul, this is why I left you, that's Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. In Crete, the churches were a mess. They were unorganized. They were undisciplined. They had no structure. So Paul sent Titus that he might put what remained into order. Paul believed that a healthy church has structure and order. In fact, 
you pay attention to Paul's ministry, if you look in Acts and even his letters, you see kind of a three-pole pattern of his ministry, right? Paul was a, a missionary, cross-cultural worker. He'd go to places where there were no church, and the first thing he would do would make converts through the preaching of the gospel. He'd go, in other words, and evangelize, share the good news. Secondly, when there was new believers, he would strengthen these new believers through discipleship and instruction. He would disciple, right? That's a great commission, make disciples. But he didn't stop there. If you look at the pattern of Paul's ministry, he would appoint... Finally, he would appoint pastors and elders in every church to carry on the work after he left. So he would evangelize, then disciple, and then make sure that there was pastors, a healthy church, before he left. In fact, this is the pattern that we have for our cross-cultural workers. Those that are going to places where there are no church, we expect them to evangelize. We expect them to, if God blesses them with converts, to disciple those converts. We expect them to plant a church. The goal is a healthy church. They're not to leave after they have converts. They're to stay until there's a church with elders there that's self-reproducing. That's sending out people to start other churches. That's when they know their job's done and they come back. And they're not needed anymore. Paul would order the church. He wouldn't just disciple Look what he tells Titus in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete. There's Christians there that were being, that have been discipled, but there was no church that was ordered. So that you might put what remained in order, and this is how you do it. Appoint elders in every town as directed you, as I directed you. In other words, this is how you're going to put the churches in order. You're going to go find men, disciple them, raise them up so that they're elders, and appoint elders to, to lead that church. church is called to be organized. And that order involves a particular relationship between elder and member, pastor and flock. If you would, turn with me now to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. I'm going to share with you the one verse in all scripture that has kept me up at night. The one verse that terrifies me more than any other verse in scripture. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. It says this. Obey your leaders. Context here is church, it's elders and pastors. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give. That's terrifying. One day I will stand before God and give an account for how I shepherd the flock here at Country Oaks. In fact, if there wasn't grace, I wouldn't have taken this job or calling. I would have ran. Because I know I'm imperfect at being a shepherd. That's terrifying. 
You know, this is one of the reasons I don't spend much time doing ecumenical events. Ecumenical meaning like when the church comes together. The church of Dad should be here all the time when it comes together and they want the pastors to be a part of it. And I kind of, I hold back a lot on that. The reason I hold back on that is because I'm accountable for this church and my family. And anything that pulls me away from this church and my family, I'm, I'm pretty, I don't just say no, but it, it better be a good thing before I do it. Because I'm not accountable for the church of Tehachapi. I'm accountable for this local body. And I take that very, very seriously. And when I say it keeps me up at night, I'm not joking. It keeps me up at night. But I want to be clear, who's being addressed in Hebrews 13, 17? The church. Look what it says. It's a command to the church. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. Again, the command is obey your leaders and submit to them. That's a command for all of us, the church body. We should all, including me, have leaders that we are submitting to. I have seven other men on that elder board that I submit to. Here's my question. Who are your leaders? Who are your pastors? Who are your elders? And here's another question. Are you truly submitting to them? You know, it's a simple question, but I think most Christians, I think I can say most Christians, probably couldn't answer it. This really leads to a second question, and really the second question is super, 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 super important. Does your pastor know that he's your pastor? Because look what it says in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Listen, as a pastor, I just want to know who I'm accountable for. I want to know who I'm accountable for. You know, part of membership is just simply saying, you're my pastor and you're accountable for me. Again, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. You know, the early church leaders in the New Testament time took this responsibility very seriously, so much so that when a member, someone from a local body, when they would leave a local church in the New Testament, when they would leave from one town and move to another town, the leaders would write a letter, which was not super easy back then. It's not like an email or a text message. It cost money. It took time. They would write a personal letter to another church, another local church, to make sure that member would be welcome. We see examples of this in Acts 18, 27, Romans 16, 1, Colossians 4, 10, 2 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2. You know, as a pastor, I try to do this. When someone moves, which 
happens a lot here in California, right? Someone moves from our state and goes to the promised land somewhere else. <laughs> Tell them we're missionaries, man. <laughs> I always try to help them find a church. I offer when I when I hear someone's moving, I say, "Hey, let me help you find a church." I have a couple ways of trying to find church. You can use zip code. I can find three or four or five churches. I'm like, hey, I think these are healthy, good churches. You know what I do? I personally call that pastor and I ask questions. I grill him. And then when I feel like, hey, this is a really solid church, I ask that pastor, please welcome this member. I love this guy, this girl, or this family. That's only happened to me once as a pastor the other way, by the way. One email. The pastor saying, hey, this family's awesome. You guys are blessed to have them. I see that as part of my calling. Handing off the accountability to another pastor, to another leader. Again, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. I take that verse seriously. Turn with me to Acts 20, verse 28, because this is another weighty passage for a pastor. These two verses, when I became and took the, the lead teaching pastor here at Country Oaks, these were the verses that I asked myself, can I do this? Can I take this responsibility? And the answer is no, it's by God's grace. Because I'm going to fail, but I'm going to do my best to be faithful. Let me give you the context. Paul's on his way to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to be persecuted. He, he thinks he's not going to live. So on his way to Jerusalem, there's reasons he's going there. He, he wants to meet with a, a church that he absolutely loved, and that's the church of Ephesus. But he doesn't have time to go there. So he calls the, the elders to meet him on his way to Jerusalem, and he talks with the elders. And, and he talks with them. It's this, this, this heart-filled passage. And he's giving them instruction, and there's one verse that just jumps out at me as a pastor. Verse 28, it says this. This is Paul talking to a, a group of elders for a local church body. He says this, Pay care, careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Paul's talking about a local church body, the church of Ephesus. It's a local church, one that Paul loved. He says, it's not my church. Elders, it's not your church. That church is the church of God. It's God's church. And God placed you as overseers to care for the church of God. Verse 28. Listen, I believe as a pastor, I have a level of responsibility for anyone that walks through those doors on Sunday morning. My, my responsibility is this, to proclaim the truth boldly, to proclaim God's word boldly. But I have a higher level of responsibility for those who consider Country Oaks their local body. Look at verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. 
Country Oaks is the bride of Christ. Jesus obtained, obtained with his own blood the pride of Christ. And I am called with seven other men to be an overseer, to care for the church of God, to pay attention to myself and to all the flock, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. All I'm asking is to know who that flock is. know who considers Country Oaks their home church. That's what membership does. It lets us know who the flock is, who, who considers himself a member of this body. Biblical terms, biblical idea. We have about 250 members at Country Oaks. We know the exact number. It's around 250. These are 250 that have confessed their faith to, to an elder or a deacon. We actually have one member that was saved through that confession. I know that for sure. He wasn't truly saved, and so the elder shared the gospel, and then they were saved, and then became a member. 250 who have confessed their faith and have been baptized as believers and have said, This is my church. I belong here. I'm committed to this body. And you are my pastor. You're accountable for me. But I just want to put that in perspective. That's about 250 out of about 500 who come on a Sunday morning on average. That means about half of you are what we call regular attenders, but not members. Now that's hard, and I don't want to offend anyone, and thankfully there's people gracious towards me for service. There's some of you that like are members of this body, but aren't members of this body, if that makes sense. And for you, I just... I want to ask the question, why aren't you a member? Why aren't you an official member? What's holding you back? I can't think of very many good reasons. For pursuing membership, I know we have three classes, and some of you are like, well, I'm trying. That's great. That's like, you're pursuing it, so I'm not talking to you. But for you that aren't even trying, that you're just a regular member, I, I can't think of very many good reasons. Is it a lack of commitment to this church? Are you more committed to other things in your life than the bride of Christ? Is it an unwillingness to submit to church leadership? Do you have a submission issue? Is it an authority issue? I'm not making accusations. I'm just asking you to examine your heart. I don't know. Is it laziness? Are you embarrassed to be associated with this church body? Do you not want to be held accountable? I just don't see many good reasons 
for not pursuing church membership. Listen, if this isn't your church and this isn't the church for you, I would just ask you to find one. Find one where you can submit to the the leadership there that you can be deeply connected to. Find one that takes those verses that I read seriously. The pastors take their, their calling seriously. Charles Spurgeon writes this, Nothing in the world is dearer to God's heart than his church. Right, The church that, that he promised to his son as a bride and from eternity past, as a gift, a love gift from the father to the son, he promised before he created anything. The church that Jesus came to redeem, to die and suffer on the cross for. The church that is now the bride of Christ. Nothing in the world is dearer to God's heart than his church. Therefore, being his, if you're a Christian, let us also belong to it, the church. That by our prayers, our gifts, and our labors, we may support and strengthen the bride of Christ. So that's my three arguments for church membership. Again, the word member is a biblical term and idea. 1 Corinthians 12. When we say member, we mean members of a body, like a body part, like like your nose. Sharing your nose. An elbow. Bow. Elbow. Marisa, you can be an eye. <laughs> Why no one's going to sit up front next week. <laughs> we are intimately connected together as a body. That's what we mean by church membership. Second, healthy church discipline would be impossible without knowing who the members are. You need to know who the church is, who the members are of the body to do Matthew 18 healthy. I haven't heard a good argument for doing it in a healthy way without knowing who the members are. And thirdly, in my own heart, membership is implied in the relationship described and prescribed. It's a command in the Bible between pastor and flock. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Two questions. Do you know who your pastors are? Second, do they know that they are accountable for your soul? Let me end just by saying a few words about membership. I just want to be clear, if you're baptized and a believer, you are more than welcome to become a member. If you're not baptized, let's do it. If you haven't put your faith in Christ, come talk with me. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was raised the third day. He's the only hope of salvation. Put your faith in him right now. If you're not baptized, let's do it. In front of the body. We celebrate together. Proclamation of what's happened spiritually. If you're a baptized and you're a believer and you're not a member, become a member. doesn't matter your age. You just can't vote until you're 18, but you can become a member at any age. You teenagers that are out there, 
become a member. It takes about six months for this to complete. There's three classes we ask you to go to. It's not because the Bible prescribes this way to become a member. We just ask you to go to three classes so you know what we believe about membership, so you know what you're getting into. If you're still questioning after this sermon, just come to the classes. You're not making a commitment at that point. It takes about six months. We do that on purpose because we want you to know us as a church and as pastors, and we want to know you before we make that commitment, before you say, this is my church. You're accountable for me. You just had a membership class this morning. I'm sure many of you were at it. In fact, could you just raise your hand if you're at it? I want to see who's there. Okay, they're all sitting in a circle here. There's a few of you. Okay, that's great. A lot of you. That's awesome. When's the next class? I was supposed to ask this before I got up here. September 12th. September 12th is the next class. You do not have to do them in order. They're standalone classes. You just have to do all three of them. We ask you to go all three of them. And you'll get more information of that. If you have left Country Oaks and have come back, there's a number of you. So happy you're here. We just ask you now if you would go through those membership classes because things have changed. We just do membership a little bit differently than we have in the past to re-become a member again. Let me end with this. Membership more than anything else is you saying that you are a believer in Christ and you belong to this local body. That's it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, Lord, I know this is a topic that many are passionate about, Lord, and I pray that anyone that that may be listening right now online or or in this room or first service, Lord, I, I pray that they would have grace, Lord, on me and everyone else in this church, Lord, that, that have strong convictions about membership, Lord. That either they would consider it. I pray that you would leave a conviction, Lord, on their heart. More importantly than anything, Lord, I just pray that everyone has a home. A church body, Lord, that they're connected with. That, that, that's talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Lord, that deep connection, so much so that if one member is hurt, we all hurt together because we love each other so much. I feel that here at Country Oaks, Lord, and I know there's people that are new that haven't dug in that deep, Lord, yet. God, I pray that they get that here. God, if this is not the church for them, Lord, I pray that they find one that they can be that connected to, Lord. What a blessing it is. Be with us, Lord, this morning. In your son's name, amen.